something outside. What is that? Welcome to Monster X Radio. Today, Shane and I are going to be talking to you about some very strange coincidences, or not coincidences, but parallel kind of activity that uh, took place on Donna and Greg's property up in Washington. If you've listened to the interviews with Donna that we did a while back, you'll know what we're talking about. And if you haven't, you should go back and listen to them because they were fantastic. Some really compelling collection of evidence over a period of time, a lot of audio stuff, but also some visual encounters that Donna and subsequently some another individual had a sighting up there. And Shane has spent quite a bit of time at that property researching the goings on. But since then, our own member of Monster X family, Julie Wrench, relocated from Ohio to her home uh, childhood state of North Carolina, very close to the Yawari Forest. And after settling in and, and about a year into her and, and Jeff's relocation, they started to notice weird audio events, things like what sounded like wood knocks, and then a, and whoops and howls. And since then, this has become like a study project. And Julie got together with David Ellis of the Olympic Project. And she began record, regularly recording what was going on near her, these sounds that she can hear from her property. And Shane and I are going to talk today about the similarities. And to, I'd like to bring a Shane... Mr. Shane Corson on today. Shane, are you there, buddy? Yes, I am, Gunner. Yeah, it, it's an exciting topic to discuss when it comes to what's going on with Julie's experiences close to the Yawari Forest there in North Carolina and some of the other individuals, such as Donna, that we've been working with and I've had the pleasure of working with, and also other scenarios like with uh, Jonathan and Sarah Brown when I was working with them and the Limp Project was working with them, and there's been other researchers out on their property back in the day. There's a lot of similarities with these three scenarios. Yeah, a lot of the same stuff going on. So it's a very interesting topic to discuss because these things don't generally happen all the time where you got ongoing occurrences happening at a homestead. Usually, you know, you'll have people talk about occasional occurrences or things that happen once and then, you know, one and done. In those three scenarios, those three different cases, it was ongoing. And in many cases, it's still ongoing. I'm, you know, I'm not 
familiar with what's going on with Sarah and Jonathan Brown now. You know, I don't work with them any longer, but they probably have some of the same stuff going on. I don't know. But with Donna, you know, Donna's property, it, it's very much ongoing. And with Julie, it's very, very much ongoing. And listening to what she's doing and having experience on her property, it's a fascinating uh, thing to discuss because there are, like you said, Gunner, a lot of the same things going on, a lot of the same experiences, a lot of the same similarities. Well, and that's one of the really fantastic things is that with Donna and Greg's uh, ongoing situation in Washington and with Julie's is that David Ellen has volunteered his time and his, his expertise in, in going through copious amounts of, of audio, hours and hours and hours, and finding the anomalies that, and comparing those to other situations or recordings that he has paid attention to over the years where, you know, you find these weird, and we put them in the interesting bucket, because unless you see Bigfoot do it, you make this audio, you, you've got these sounds, and a lot of them, in some cases, they're associated with, with other corroborating evidence of Bigfoot. And in Don and Greg's case, that was, they had sightings. I mean, they, there were some visual encounters and other weird stuff that had happened around their property that made you like, okay, this is possible that these sounds are associated with Bigfoot. And in Julie's case, Julie has not had any visual encounters. She lives really close to the area in uh, North Carolina that has the highest concentration of Bigfoot reports. And Julie has got together with some other folks, David Pardue, that are long-term, have spent a lot of time in Yawari, and they've had experiences, including visual encounters of Bigfoot in close proximity, close enough proximity that uh, you could associate it with, possibly with the audio events that are taking place on Julie's property. Right. You know, get back to, you know, David Ellis. Here you go once again. He's now working consistently with Julie Ranch on analyzing her uh, recordings visually through a spectrograph. You know, he's looking at them visually. And he's done that with both Donna for a number of years. And he's did that with the Browns. And there's a lot of consistent and, you know, and somewhat ambiguous, but in some circumstances, very interesting, compelling audio that have been recorded in all three locations and not just these locations, but around the country where there's supposed Bigfoot activity, whether there's a sighting or something, some other anomaly there with the phenomena. So there's been consistent recordings of this stuff going on in multiple locations. And of course, David Ellis has played huge role in helping people record stuff, showing them where and how to set up stuff and then how to visually analyze their audio and that's fascinating and that's unprecedented and it you know like i said it's from around the country not these three locations but just speaking about these three different scenarios when it comes to like the browns and donna and, and julie there's a lot of consistencies there with the audio and like you mentioned gunner so the browns had their thermal footage and they had other sightings on the property donna had a visual near her property as did the uh, individual that was hired as a contractor. And there's been other sightings in that area. Julie has yet to see any, any figures, any Sasquatch or anything like that. Of course, she's talked about that in the past. She's not sure if she's ready to do so. <laughs> so, but 
other than that, I mean, there's so many similarities. One of the interesting things I have found with this phenomenon in regards to these cases is that the neighbors, the neighbors in almost all cases corroborate a lot of the, not necessarily visual stuff, but a lot of the audio stuff. People that have been living in these areas for years and years and years, their whole life, that are hearing the same sounds and they don't understand what they're hearing. They know it's weird. It's not anything they're familiar with. And so, you know, with Julie's case, obviously she's talked to some of her neighbors and now they've got this corroboration. I know Donna has done that with her neighbors and there's corroborate stuff there. And of course the Browns in the past have had similar experiences. And so you have that and then historical reports, historical encounters. Once again, in all cases, the areas have a history of Sasquatch sightings, supposed Sasquatch vocals, tracks found, wood knocks, you name it. All these areas have a history of this stuff going on. And so there, like you said, once again, is a ton of similarities that, uh, you know, you have to look at. And now it's being categorized, collected, and analyzed. And so there is, there's a lot to go off here. I think it's fascinating. Well, one of the things Julie has shared uh, a lot of the audio pieces that she's recorded and, and that David has vetted with us. And there's some stuff in there that we're going to be talking to Julie about here in another upcoming episode about the, the different pieces of audio that come up that are really weird. And if you, again, if you go back and, and if you listen, and to the interviews that were done with Donna about the activity on their property, there was a point in time where they had recorded what sounded like something saying their dog's name. Well, when you listen, when we do the interviews with Julie, you're going to hear some really, really weird verbalization. And to me, it sounds like words. I mean, there's some, there'll, there'll be some stuff to like, should make it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up and i'm not in i'm i'm on safely on the other side of the country from where julie is sitting out by her fire pit and and she's heard stuff on you know like something hitting an outbuilding which which is on her property it, it's either a slap or a rock being thrown or something hitting this building while she's sitting out there but it's gotten progressively more and and we went through this in the interviewing with donna is you're going down this rabbit hole of like, okay, it, this other stuff was weird, but stuff gets even a little bit weirder and not a little bit, like a lot weirder when you hear some of this other things that you're, we're going to be talking with Julie about here in an uh, upcoming episode. So, and, and you refer to, you know, we're talking about John and Sarah Brown. One of the things with our research group here in Oregon, the Tillamook Forest Research Group, is that when we started we had a lot of audio events happen out there that we recorded and we started working with David Ellis in that case too. And, and at that time also with uh, Sarah and John uh, and found again, similarities. So I said, well, we are having happening there. Um, we're hearing the same things here. And when you look at them, one of the things about audio evidence to, in, in my opinion is one, it's, it's probably the easiest, least invasive kind of, Bigfoot research you can do because Bigfoot where, where there may be some, you know, there's debate about why we're not getting trail cam pictures uh, on a regular basis of Bigfoot because they, you know, they 
they sense them or they avoid them. I don't know about that. It's like still a, you put one camera out in or even several cameras out in an area. You're just hoping that something walks by that camera and, and leaves a clear picture, which is a difficult task. But audio, you know, something, uh, if something's screaming or wood knocking, it doesn't have to be close to the audio for you to collect that data. But on the other hand, it's most also the most open to, it requires the most vetting because, you know, our interpretation of a, a sound could be anything. You're sitting in a dark and you hear something whoop. Some people would interpret it as uh, Bigfoot. It might be an owl. And it's so there's a higher degree of vetting and analyzing that to eliminate all other possibilities before you, uh, obviously, before you declare it as something that could possibly be Bigfoot. And it, it ends up being that, you know, you get these, this catalog of audio stuff that when it comes down to it, it's either uh, audio, unknown audio from a known animal, or it's audio from an unknown animal. Because it doesn't match, you know, what coyotes do. You can visually look at it and you can, and there's a big uh, catalog of sounds, the Macaulay library, where you can go get these sounds and compare them to what you're looking at. And David has done that enough that he can tell you that, okay, that's not, he can tell you what it's not. And again, we talk about exclusionary evidence versus inclusionary. And that means that we know what it's not. We can't tell you what it is. And you look at this sound visually and you look at a coyote or a cougar or whatever known animals are, are known to be in that area. And you can eliminate them by comparing a visual, a visualization of this, the sound versus what a recorded sound, what is in the Macaulay library. So you look at the two things, you say, okay, obviously this is outside that range and uh, will fall outside the human range and all these. So what you're left with is these things that don't match anything in the known uh, recorded sounds, which yeah. is yeah. leaves us with what, what is it, you know? Right. And the other thing to that, the other thing to, to that as well is you get familiar with the animals in those areas. So you're, you know, by either recording or living in these areas or spending a considerable amount of time in this area, both in the field and online, you get familiar with what kind of animals are actually in these areas. You know, do you have you know, packs of coyotes, cougar, bear, elk, deer, squirrels, you name it. You get familiar with those animals and you record more time to compare them, you know, with the Macaulay Library of Sound you look at them visually, what's in their range, you know, what's in their spectrum there, what stands out to you. You know, a lot of times in these, that I find it fascinating too, is that with the case like Donna and Julie's circumstances, you know, you know, they're living at these properties. Donna no longer lives at the property that she had all these occurrences, but she goes there periodically. But something and, I, you know, you can't say Sasquatch. With Donna, I'm way more comfortable to say that Sasquatch has at one point in time, if not frequently, been on in an, and around that property. But, you know, Julie and the Browns, you had consistent stuff there. So if it is Sasquatch, in Julie's scenario and whatnot, why are they consistently going through this area, either passing through this area, 
habituating this area? Why are they there? What is drawing them to pass through there or hunker around that area for a lengthy period of time? And I thought a great deal about that when it comes to what are the similarities with these cases? What are the similar things going on here? Because you brought up like the, the sounds of almost like saying a dog's name or a person's name. And I'm not saying that Sasquatch doing that. Uh, nobody is. But if indeed that is Sasquatch mimicking, that tells me that that thing, that being that entity, has spent a lot of time in that area listening and has managed to mimic fairly close to that, that sound that's probably been consistent over, uh, you know, hearing the same thing over and over again on that property coming from a human and is now mimicking. Now, I'm not saying Sasquatch, but that tells me if it is, there's a reason that they're coming through this area and, and what is that and you can look at some of the things like in all these cases in all these scenarios you have orchards nearby apple orchards different fruit orchards in these areas you have farms not too far away that are growing produce they have animals and livestock that attract of course that attract outsiders like ungulates deer that'll come in because the there's fruit and vegetables there there's green grass to be eaten which of course tracks a lot of predators so you get a, a, a bunch of different animals in these areas and it stands to reason that if there's sasquatch in area this is an area that they would frequent ton of food sources in a lot of scenarios you have very temperate weather in these areas great areas to come through you have springs natural springs in these areas fresh water i know with the the Browns and Don is one. I mean, they're fairly close to the coast. I'm not sure with Julia how close. I think she's a few hours away from the coast, but still not extremely far away from the coast. So you have the coast, which I think plays a big part with a lot of sightings. Not everything, because there's a lot of sightings, supposedly in Ohio and in Texas and a lot of other places inland that aren't. Texas does have a coast, of course, but a lot of the sightings are further north. So what's going on here? Is it just the food sources? Is it just the weather? if Sasquatch is moving in and out of these areas frequently, or is it, is it partly the human element? Are they attracted to these places with Julie? She's, yes, she's got neighbors, but they're not super close. And she's also just her and her significant other living there. A lot of times she, you know, she's at home alone. Donna was the same way. She was home alone a lot, you know? And so easy, predictable. You can watch these individuals and they were predictable. They're predictable in what they do. I'm sure the Browns, for the most part, were the same way. You know, they had to work, and there'd be just one or two of them home. Or So they had, there's a lot of similarities there. But once again, the question I always raise is, why, if indeed they are having Sasquatch, Sasquatch are, seem to be around, not all the time. There were certain seasons, specifically with Donna, that I can note that there was, you know, months sometimes there was no activity. But then there'd be consistent, constant activity happening in and around that property. And Julie seems to be in that exact same scenario, as were the Browns. So you got to look at all these elements. Why would Sasquatch risk itself being in this area? Which there's another thing there is most of these areas, it's not a high risk area to be hanging out in for the most part. You can get in and out of these areas really quick. You can go to different elevations fairly quickly, lots of areas to hide and not be seen. You can you can stay at a distance from their actual houses and not be seen. So there's just, uh, those are the questions that I raise in my head. I really wanna know that if this is in fact Sasquatch activity and all these occurrences, all these cases, why are they coming through there? What are, they, what are their motives? What are they doing? And I have to look at the natural things. 
whether it's a food source, it's a temperate area. They've been in this area for eons before people possibly, and they just haven't given up their travel routes or their daily or nightly activities. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that, Gunner? Why would you think any, anything that sticks out in your head of similarity there? Oh, uh, yeah. There, I, I look at these, what we're looking at as, as an animal. So what do other animals do? I mean, this is, these, these situations, that, the three situations that you talk about, as well as, as the Tillamook Forest Research Group's research area, had regular activity that was recorded. I mean, and that, that means, and I love what the way that David Ellis, the term that he came up with was intersection. You know, there's... Or a travel corridor. It, right. But there's, there's these creatures, and you can relate it to known animals, bears, coyotes, cougars, et cetera, et cetera, deer. You'll see the same. They live in a certain area. I mean, they have a, a territory. So unless something comes in and pushes them out of that territory, they, they don't just randomly move, you know, somewhere else. And the human aspect, there seems to be something with Bigfoot where they have a curiosity about us because otherwise they, they in most cases, they don't seek us out during the daytime and come and sit down in, in our a campsite and, and have interaction that way. They, they come around at night when they feel less threatened. And in Donna's case, she had things happen where at night she didn't feel comfortable, you know, being, she felt like she was being watched in her house. And having been there, I can see where like, she could be Bigfoot TV. You know, there, here's this one gal in this house at night with the windows. That if you if you know the layout of that house, it looks it has that kind of fishbowl um, scenario. And the fence line that's in there that where they had some incidents where it seemed like something was going down that fence or hit that fence. Or at one time, somebody saw somebody walking along the fence line, um, ran right right along where it would be concealed enough that, that you, it wouldn't feel as threatened and it could see inside that house pretty, pretty easily. Unless they're just, we assume that they're nomadic and they just wander aimlessly through the forest, which would make them different than most other animals in the, the woods. I don't think they go, you know, they don't hike south for the winter. They are in a temperate area. That's just their territory. And, and these situations, these three situations with Donna, John and Sarah, and now Julie and Jeff, their situations, they just happen to be in an air, their house where they live happens to be in an area that includes Sasquatch territory, if that's what it is. Same thing as if you live in a house and there's a cougar in, that you see frequently or a bear that you see frequently or periodically. You know, it's same thing. Uh, one of the things I think that's different about Sasquatch is they have a curiosity about about humans, and we're, I think we're still talking about the least populated animal in the the forest and the most intelligent. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there, and and the situation with Julia, she has this thing about going out and sitting at the fire pit alone. Uh, she she's much more of a late uh, nighttime person than Jeff is. Jeff is former military, goes to bed early still. So she's out there at this fire pit by herself. But why wouldn't something like a, a Bigfoot be curious about what she's doing? And then it, there's some interaction 
where it, you know, they're playing with her by making themselves known that that they're out there, which is weird, but still, and and when you hear some of this audio that that Julie's going to share, it gets, it gets pretty weird, but similar to some of the stuff again, that happened with the ongoing audio event, uh, investigation that was going on in Donna Gregg's property is there, as it progressed, there was more weird stuff that happened that their dog name thing to me, which was interesting because when that happened, I know that David had an incident years ago where something uh, he recorded something saying the, the name of his dog in the woods where in an area where he was doing an ongoing Bigfoot research. And when I, I remember when I first heard that, I thought it was creepy. It like made the hair stand up. I'm like, like, here's now. And on the other end of that, we have to. So if it's not Bigfoot, what the heck is out in the woods mimicking people? I mean, it's no more like of a raccoon is if it's a big raccoon imitating people. Um, that's that might be more creepy to me than Bigfoot doing it. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just think in those areas, it, like I said, if indeed it is Sasquatch, they're in that area for an extended period of time and they have their, it's their job living in these areas and passing through these areas, especially if they're going through these areas so frequently, it's their job to pay attention to what us hair, you know, hairless apes are doing, us people are doing. What are we doing? They got to pay attention. They can't just maneuver around all willy-nilly and, and not pay attention. It's everything they depend on relies on that, knowing what we're doing. And, and along with that comes predictability because they're going to know our habits, what we're doing, just like any, most animals, you know, it's not outlandish to think that your dog knows your habits. You know, you, you go mm-hmm. keep your dog at home. That dog pretty much knows what time you're going to be home and dogs and other animals know our habits, raccoons, you name it. So Sasquatch, being that much more intelligent, obviously would have to know our habits and have to know what we're up to. And much as we're trying to, in a lot of cases, predict what they're doing, I think it's far easier for them to predict what we're doing <laughs> and avoid us. You know, they just always seem to know how far enough to stay back without being seen in most circumstances, not all the time. And it's interesting to me because even though Julie is, is a Bigfoot researcher, has an interest in the, the Bigfoot phenomenon and the mystery, and, you know, we've joked about the fact that how national inquiry it is that Bigfoot researcher moves to property and has Bigfoot. And, and that's, it concerns her that people would think, look at that and say, well, that's, that's just too much of a coincidence, but it's about the location yeah, where they move. I got it. Let me jump in there on that too, because that's a great mm-hmm. point. That's a, I mean, it's a great point because that happens, you know, periodically as well. But I'll have to tell you. Just like uh, she'll explain in a future show here about some of her neighbors, right? Well, Mm -hmm. her neighbors aren't Bigfoot researchers, but uh, they know there's, or, you know, any researcher or investigator or an enthusiast even. These are just homebody people that live in these areas that are experiencing the same thing she's come to find out. She happened to move in an area that has this odd activity. And the difference with Julian, say her neighbors is, yes, she is an investigator. She's aware of it. She's yeah. aware of it. And so, she went in there with a the, with the context, yeah. Right, with the context. And so she recognizes the oddity, the, the, that this is weird. This is, you know, not what I was expecting coming here and moving. And this matches a lot of the unknown stuff out there. She's never jumped to any conclusion with what's going on on the property. She has reached out to the likes of us, uh, David Ellis, David Pardue and whatnot, to try and get an answer. Because 
they're very familiar with some of these sounds and findings. Julie's come across some neat stuff on the property. So Julie's just in a, a spot where she can actually recognize the this stuff and has avenues to share that outside of uh, you know her home group, unlike her neighbors. They don't really care. They're, you know, some of them say they don't really want to go out at night. And yeah, so it has affected their lives, but not to the point where they're going to scream Sasquatch or anything and not to the point where they're going to report anything. And this happens, I'm sure, more times than not. Who would you report it to? I mean, right. I, who do you report it to? You call the police and say there's a weird, there's Bigfoot or there's weird something screaming in my, out in the woods. I mean, that, you know, they'd laugh at you. So, I mean, that that's um, some of the, the, the expansion now. And, and you got to remember, Julie did not move there and then immediately start recognizing, saying, hey, yeah, Bigfoot's coming and or I've done these weird noises. It took a while. And she had developed some some habits. And she has this this habit of going out and sitting by her fire pit in the evening by herself. So this this scenario developed over it was like a year of them being there before she started to notice these anomalies. Um, I remember one of the first times she said something about it was something hit this outbuilding that they have. And she, you know, doesn't know what it is, but David Ellis looking at it visually, they were able to determine that it was something hitting this metal building. So it isn't, yeah, it's not a willy nilly jump to conclusion situation. And one of the really interesting things, and one of those parallels between Donna and Julie is they're what I call the reluctant witness. When Donna contacted David, and he and sent him initially sent him audio her her desire was for david to come back and say oh yeah that's this right that's not that couldn't be bigfoot it's a cougar it's a it's a bear it's it's something known and unfortunately and and that was the same case which really interesting is even though julie has an interest in the bigfoot subject when she didn't want bigfoot be living in her backyard and i'm using air quotes i mean she that's creepy to her to be sitting out by her fire pit and have these things occurring, the hearing things. And now she's developed this uh, kind of timing thing that she, she knows when the dogs in the neighborhood start going off. A lot of times these anomaly, anomalous sounds occur in association with those dogs. And there's also, I believe, a, do a donkey on a piece of property that will go off and and vocalize in a certain way when these then sounds happen subsequently i like the quote unquote reluctant witness and donna and i mean uh, john and, and sarah was a little different they became active like trying to record video and and collect evidence and julia is is doing that she she has said more than once she doesn't want to see them at this point. It's just, you know, if she's sitting there and something walked into it. And most of us sitting in our backyard would not want a Bigfoot walking up. It would freak us out. I mean, even if you're a Bigfoot researcher, Bring it. living somewhere and having that, that's a little too close for comfort. But, but she is expanding her investigation over there to some of her, her neighbors are going to uh, be recording doing audio recording as well. So now you're, you're doing a, this audio investigation project and, it, and to get corroboration of 
obviously are you you're recording the same sounds in from different locations close but not you know far enough away that that it uh builds this puzzle putting these puzzle pieces together at certain times at you know they're over here or there and, and it's fascinating to me there are also some limitations in the geography there a lot of where this these vocalizations these this audio is coming from is in private property and where you can't if you you know you trespass in people's property over there you might get shot and we've had that you know Julie's talked about taking one for the team but not getting shot is not on that <laughs> uh, that that list of what she's willing to do to I, I, I think that Bigfoot is smart enough to know that, hey, people don't know, generally come in this area where we're safe. This is our boundary. And it brings to mind what Derek Randalls has said, is they, they seem to know how far, how far away to stay to not be seen. Some of the recording and things that Julie has heard live are close enough that they aren't showing themselves, but they're they're letting them so it be known that they're close by. And some of that, I think, is to see what her reaction is. You know, does she come out with a shotgun at some point? Or how dangerous, what is testing the danger? We had an incident in with you and me and Larry where you had heard of some wood knocks, um, and we had a recording of, like, we determined later that it was a rock hitting, like, the tailpipe of, of Larry's pickup. And I think that was that they did that to see if we would stir that they can't, I mean, whatever it was, was close enough to, to throw a rock or toss a rock. And we heard brush moving on this recorder that was in the middle of our camp. And it was a big, like, <laughs> and then we heard something that sounded like very um, primate. It sounded like mm -mm. on this recording. Of course, I subsequently erased that recording and uh, we developed the, the gunner protocol the gunner uh, protocol yeah 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 great occurrence that was you know two knocks i heard in the early morning hours and i heard that metallic ting sound the knocks were about 20 minutes apart and i sat there in my tent listening early morning hours you guys were asleep you guys didn't hear this but i heard one and then 20 minutes later i heard another one this one was right above our camp whereas the other one was several hundred yards away and then I heard that metallic sound oh another 15 minutes later I never heard the brush moving I never heard the the grunt or the ooh, ooh sort of sound and I don't think it you know if that was a Sasquatch I don't think it intentionally was trying to per se hit the Larry's truck I think it threw a rock into camp or a, a small larger than a pebble and got I think it probably surprised itself that was the reaction listening to the recording that I got was that yeah. it, it was a Sasquatch it's kind of Threw it in and then yeah and then I think, oh crap yeah. I hit something and, and then probably yeah. Bush moved and retreated you know of course this is yeah in my head my my idea of what I was listening to I didn't see it but you know being there is is a whole thing but to get back to one little another little tidbit here or point you know working in areas like mm -hmm. the Olympics working in areas like Tillamook Tillamook National Forest they're vast areas we purposely place ourselves in areas that we believe we have based on historical stuff, based on past, that past things that have gone on in these areas. We place ourselves consistently in these areas and would get somewhat consistent stuff throughout the year. 
you know, even at one point, even something on FLIR. Uh, so we were getting consistent vocals, knocks, but not all the time. And we're talking about areas that are so vast and big to explore. You know, it, it's a really difficult job. Now, what I really like about, and I'm not an ambulance chaser. I don't go out and check reports all the time. Uh, I'll look into them if they're a really high interest in recent stuff or they could add some mm -hmm. sort of value to my investigations or to uh, some of our listeners on the show. Sure. What's really neat about what's going on on Donna's property and Julie's property is that you're talking about an area where, yes, there's some vast areas around these areas for sure. Vast, but for whatever reason, there's consistent stuff happening right there. You don't have to travel that far. You can stay at home. And so there's a lot you can do there setup wise, audio wise, you can get the people's reaction. You can get it as it's going on. I've had Julie call me before, you know, talk to me about what's going on. I can hear it. It's very much, you know, even though she's on the other side of the country, I can kind of experience it. I don't have to travel anywhere. And I can go, you know, these people are on these properties. And this has happened in the past. There's a lot. There's been historical reports where people have left their houses or, or you know, called the cops where they get this consistent stuff going on. There's some, you know, well-known movies out there of this sort of, uh, th thing going on so it does happen but it's minute it's in one little area you don't have to go you know a pinpoint a spot on the map in the olympics go okay well i'm going to start here and then we'll see what happens no yes there's spots in olympics where we go and do research in but it's so vast we're talking about an area where it's consistent whether it's sasquatch or not it's consistent and it's unexplained and there's historical stuff with encounters and sightings and other people are experienced this too. So it's very in a, a much more minute setting rather than say the Tillamook Forest, which is vast. <laughs> well, so yeah, and like the Olympics and the, and the Uari. I mean, these, these areas are, are huge. I think there's like, I think that these situations are presenting themselves as, as showing that, that we're talking about a, animals having a territory that they stay in. I know in the case of, of both Donna's and, and Julie's, David has been able to identify that there's more than one individual being recorded, that these audio sounds are coming from more, more than one individual is making right. these sounds. Right. And because then you can do that with, with humans, you know, you get different voice prints and after a while of collecting enough data, you can do that with, with other species as well. Right. And I was going to, I was going to mention David Ellis has become very familiar with a lot of the, just like Julie has, cause she lives there, but David listening can compare this mm -hmm. to other known animals. He's very familiar with the animals in this area, the known animals. He's picked them apart. He's, right. he's found owl and dog and coyote and this and that. And he's very familiar. And so he has a bit of a, library of, of known animals in these areas that he can compare this stuff to let alone go into the macaulay library or some of his past stuff so it's it's a perfect storm when it comes to these areas a perfect storm to do really solid investigations without jumping conclusions but definitely solid stuff ruling in ruling out collecting 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 you know not just the audio stuff but what's you know like we we talk about all the time with the Olympic project preaches and other really solid groups out there teaches what time of night, what was the moon phase, what was the bear make pressure, what were you doing, blah, 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 all these little things, what was the wind direction, all these things play into part, just like if you're out hunting, you know, if you're a hunter and you hunt deer or whatnot, all that stuff really, you know, or if you're out fishing, you know, all that stuff, the tides, everything plays a part into 
painting a picture here and putting the puzzle together. And so that's something in these areas we've done and are doing and Julie's doing right now. David else is helping her out. Don has been doing that for years. And you start to really get a bit of an idea, you know, regardless if it's Sasquatch or not, you start to pick up patterns of when things happen. And so that for me, this is ongoing. You know, it's Julie's scenario. It's just really awesome. I'm, I'm so happy that uh, she's aboard with us and that she's being diligent with her work and reaching out and not jumping to conclusions, but she's really solid. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, happens down the road here. What other pieces of evidence can she collect? What other auto can she collect? What are her findings? So the sky's the limit right now. And hopefully this particular area, like Donna's, you know, makes a lot of sense as to why stuff happens in this area. And, you know, with Julie's case, I don't see any reason it'll stop anytime soon. Yeah, no, unless there was a forest fire or some natural disaster event that would cause just like in other areas where we've talked about forest fires moving, moving the population of animals from one location to another. Um, I think that whatever it, it's tied in, you know, and her association with, with these other researchers that have been active in that area for a long time is awesome and just helps to build uh, on the story and, we could talk about this for hours and hours. It is just one of those. It, it's funny. You should hear some of the phone calls between Shane and Julie, and I will get on there and start. And we, go, we should be recording this for you, for Monster X people. So, and we will do that on occasion, like this one. But uh, we're about out of time for, for this show. I do want to let people know that Julie's ongoing investigation is being documented to the nth degree on uh, inside of Exclusive. It's something that we're providing to our exclusive members on an ongoing basis, even though we're sharing some of this publicly, the really meaty stuff is inside exclusive. So if there's something that you want to follow more closely, go to our website, uh, monsterxradio.com, and uh, you can join exclusive there. That and and uh, all our other cool members-only content is available there for, you know, 10 bucks a month or $49 a year at this point. So get in there before, you know, the price goes up. Oh, <laughs> can go up anytime. <laughs> so um, Shane, is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, sign off? No, I just, just that, you know, this is like I said, ongoing. It's very interesting to me. I think it's going to be interesting to a lot of those listening, uh, those that have been following these different cases over the years, you know, maybe, maybe in fact, you're listening to the show and you, have something you believe similar to what's going on with uh, say Julia or Donna's property, feel free to reach out to us, send us, shoot us an email, uh, contact us on our Facebook group. Love to hear from you and uh, you know, see if uh, you know, which you have to share. So, you know, this is ongoing and we'll see where it ends up. Yeah. Appreciate uh, everybody who's listening. And uh, if you happen to be planning on being in the Seattle area on June 8th, this year, uh, we're going to have our first Monster X event. We're having a, a one-day mini conference and town hall. Um, go to our, our website or our Facebook page for details, and uh, we hope to see you there. I know Shane and uh, Craig and Thomas and I will be there, so we like to meet as many of you as possible. Come on to uh, our first Monster X event. Shane, I, I appreciate the, It's always fun to talk Bigfoot with you and uh, these ongoing situations are 
are fascinating. It's a, a aspect of Bigfooting that is just, I think, helps build the the puzzle pieces for this mystery. So, for uh, Shane Corson, this is Gunnar Monson for Monster X Radio. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.